This episode is brought to you by Morty, Buzzshot, Cogs, and Patreon supporters like you. Cogs by Clockwork Dog is an easy-to-use platform for running interactive events, specializing in escape rooms. They have plug-and-play hardware that seamlessly integrates with their software, so you can create a show with lighting and sound cues, all without having to write a single line of code. Map different kinds of inputs and outputs by building up simple logic steps which determine what you want to happen and when. If you're new to immersive tech, COGS is perfect for you. Using simple building blocks, you can create any kind of puzzle in the software and their system will tell the hardware exactly what to do. And if you're a seasoned maker, they have an abundance of tools to expand your capabilities. Create any form of logic by using their expression language. Build your own plugins for external software or hardware and create your own custom content for screens for things like touchscreen gaming. The COG starter set is normally valued at $257, but our listeners can get the starter set today for only $130 with free shipping to the US. You can learn more and purchase your COGS starter set at COGS.show. Use code REPOD at checkout. That's R-E-P-O-D. Link and details in the show notes. Welcome to the Reality Escape Pod, your lifeline when you need a getaway from the real world. I'm David Spira, alongside my co-host, PG Law. Together, we're exploring immersive gaming from all angles, and we'll be joined by guests who really know their stuff. Today's guests are Mike Dold and Rick George of Doldrick's Escape Room in Orlando, Florida. Since 2018, they have been entertaining escape room players with iconic games like Captain Spoopy Bones and the Magnificent Quest for Some Other Pirate's Treasure, and their latest game, the masterful black-and-white cartoon in escape room form, Crazy Train, The Ballad of Scheming Plots. Welcome, Mike and Rick. Hello. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you very much. This is so fun to have you on because Doldrix was one of the first escape rooms I played where I was really wowed by the game and incredibly wowed by the sets. I remember telling David about it, probably one of our first escape room conversations. It was our very first escape room conversation after we had recorded the No Pro podcast with Anthony Robinson. You and I hung around afterwards and you were telling me about how much you loved Doldrix. <laughs> that really is awesome. Yeah, that really is. I played it with a bunch of reality stars too, like a bunch of survivor people, because every year we used to have this big charity event out in Orlando, Florida. But I am sure a lot of our listeners are having the realization, like I just did, that Doldrix is a portmanteau of Mike's last name, Dold, and Rick's first name, which is really (laughs) cool because Doldrix is an unusual name for an escape room. And now it's all making sense. So is there an additional story behind it or is it you just decided to do a mashup of your names? When we first set up like the company, it was just, okay, we'll call it Doldrix, like whatever. We'll have a DBA for the actual escape room. And so it was just like, get all the business in, tax ID, all that stuff done, like in the background. Okay, Doldrix Entertainment, that's the company name. All right, now let's think of the escape room name. And we went weeks through yeah. lists of ideas. 
every single time we'd come up with something that we did really like, then Google searched it. Oh, someone's got it in this state. Oh, someone's already has that idea. Just a lot of back and forth. But I had very specific rules. What I wanted was, uh, I was like, whatever we come up with, I want the Twitter handle, the domain name, the Gmail. I want something that nobody else has. So it's got to be something I can get all of the... You wanted the branding. Yeah, the branding. I wanted, That was the big thing. And a lot of names we were going through and thinking of, I couldn't get that stuff because it was already part of something else or whatever. And so that's how they convinced me at first. They're like, you know, Doldrix is definitely a unique name. No one's going to have that. You can get all the stuff you want from it. And I'm like, yeah, but that's because it's a made up word. It doesn't, you know, but I mean, now I, I love it. It stands out, which I now see how important that is. It's clear that you guys have put a lot of thought into names of things. And you also have some very long and very funny game titles, <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about some of the different titles and the story behind the name choices of your games. The first one is Super Bomb Squad colon Commando's Awesome. <laughs> Exclamation point. Exclamation point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We had all these exciting ideas and, you know, and you're sitting around with your buddy and you're like, we can do that. Oh, we want to do this. We want to do that. And we were just wasted on that. And we knew we wanted to do a diffuse the bomb type game. And coming up with that one was very, I remember that moment very clearly. I was on the, uh, the toilet and thought, <laughs> super bomb truck command is awesome. I, I texted Mike and he was just kind of like, yeah, that's awesome. That's cool. And, and that, that was it. That's where all the best ideas come that's from. That's the best ideas. That's our, that's our, you know. How about my favorite game title and a title that I just do not pass up an opportunity to say the full thing. Captain Spoopy Bones and the Magnificent Quest for Some Other Pirate's Treasure. That was a fun one too. Yeah, I'll say for a long time when it was just the pirate game internally, well, we hadn't come up with a name for it yet. And we were going through names, stuff like that. And then for a while we landed on Captain's Quest but we always knew it was like, yeah, that's still a little boring to us. So the funny thing was the actual Spoopy himself, I don't know what you'd call it, I guess a mannequin of a skeleton, pirate skeleton. But uh, I know Rick bought that way back day, like, yeah, we can use this for something. And so we had that skeleton. It was on sale. That was the big thing. Yeah, it was like the regular like skeleton was sixty bucks. That one was only like twenty. So, so we're like twenty. We yeah. <laughs> like, oh, this is this was super cheap. Got a deal. I was like, okay. I was like, I don't have a plan for that skeleton, but yeah, yeah, that that's fun. We were still under construction at the time, and so we had brought all the stuff to the space while it was under construction. And the funny thing about that skeleton was that it just was always perfectly in the way wherever like we needed to be, it was just in the way. We constantly kept moving this thing around. And Rick's wife, Narissa, just named the skeleton Captain Spooby Bones. And so that would just became his, his ah, Captain Spooby Bones, get him out of the way, move him. It was just constantly in the way. And then I remember like months later, you know, this is after Bomb Squad's been up and running and stuff like that. And we're like, okay, we need to finalize the name before we announce it and everything. And then we start making artwork and graphics and stuff like that. I remember we started talking about like, okay, we need to come up with a fun name. And I wasn't exactly on the toilet. I remember I was laying in the bed. I remember I was like, it was like late at night and laying in bed. It really just was one of those light bulb moments where it's like, oh my God, we'll name the game after that skeleton prop that's been in the way this whole time. We'll just call the game 
Captain Spooby Bones. And then that was it. So it was like, then I remember told the next day, I was like, we'll name the game after the prop, Captain Spooby Bones. So that will be the name of the game. But then it was like, okay, what's the subtitle? And then we're like, okay, do we use the original, like Captain Spooby Bones, Captain's Quest? We're like, no, we don't want to reuse the word Captain twice. And then it was like, okay, so something else, Quest. We started going through a list of adjectives. We literally, I think we wrote out I don't know, maybe 20 or so. Treacherous. Yeah, and tre- just all sorts and of horrible, amazing, horrible quests. All these adjectives of what the quest could be. We definitely like the sound of Magnificent Quest. And then it was just like, okay, well, we still want something else. And it just kept getting longer and longer. And then we started laughing about how long it started getting. And I was like, Captain Spookbones in the Magnificent Quest for some other pirate's treasure. And we just both started cracking up and just thinking like, yeah, that's not going to be the actual name, but this is just really funny. Just like Doldrix isn't going to be the actual name. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Placeholder title here. Yeah. And yeah, we just, we laughed so much about it that we both went to Rick's wife, Nerissa. We were like, okay, here's the name we got. Like, yes or no? What do you think? You know, yeah. <laughs> we said it. And she was like, yes, yeah, that's it. <laughs> and then it came the idea to use the prop himself and make him a character. That's part of the game. If we're going to make the game named after him, then we have to incorporate him into the game. And so then the intro video was birthed with that idea and all the stuff about him. I love the story behind that. I actually had no idea what spoopy even meant until I came to play your game. <laughs> and actually, Gabby Pascuzzi, I played with her and she's been a guest on Repod and she's a little bit younger. And she had to explain to me <laughs> that <laughs> spoopy spelled with a P actually comes from an Internet meme where a, uh, a Halloween sign was uh-huh. misspelled from spooky to spoopy and it became a whole thing. But but it means something that is spooky, but also funny. Yeah, my wife is a huge seasonal decor uh, enthusiast. Our, our house is always like crazy Christmas and crazy Halloween. And we used to have big Halloween parties and spoopy. That was his first foray into our existence as he would be sitting there about the bar, you know. But yeah, spoopy was just something that she always said. And we just thought it was hilarious. We ended up putting creppy in the game as well, the play on creepy. So we thought that was funny. And as uninteresting as it may or may not sound, a lot of our name titles just come from a similar feeling. It's just stuff that makes us laugh. It's stuff that we want to hear. And then it just slowly grows over time to this final version of the name. We pass it through Narissa because she's the filter (laughs) for Mike and I. (laughs) She's like, yes, yes, that's good. And we're like, okay, thank you. (laughs) Now we know. (laughs) Now we know that it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's David's wife's job (laughs) for us. (laughs) But yeah, Spooby Bones, the character himself, that was my eye opener of how much I love the idea of us doing characters. We had already started making characters in Bomb Squad, but it just kind of happened organically. Then I think really, yeah, it was spoopy where it's like, okay, this is something we can really set ourselves apart on and really make us stand out as well as create characters and actually give them personality and give them, you know, unique things. And so, yeah, that was a big learning thing with me was spoopy. I would say that all of that absolutely worked out. Yeah. (laughs) It was never necessarily part of the plan. We know just enough about a lot of things that we can get ourselves going in the direction. And we're very self-starter, self-taught. We don't really have 
too much of like formal knowledge on things, but we just, we want to do something and we just set out to do it. That's kind of part of the whole process with us is we're making something and we're like, oh yeah, let's do that. Oh, that'll be funny if we do this. And oh, that'll be great if we do that. And it just kind of, we're putting the tracks down as we're literally leaving the station. And um, that's how most of our stuff is created. And the methodology is more, let's do that because that makes us laugh and that's funny and that's how we want to do it. And that's the secret sauce, but it was never planned. The characters were never something that we were like, we want to have this world of characters and this, da, da, da. it just, as it was happening, we were like, we love what this has become. Let's lean into this more. In the beginning, Nurse and I, we were set up to do a totally different business and Mike came back from a vacation. Do you remember vacations, Mike? <laughs> a what? A, va a vacation? A what? A? Way, way a long time ago, there used to be this thing in our lives called vacation. We don't get that anymore. But he came back and he had played an escape room. And I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't know what that is. Don't tie me to a chair, put a bag over my head. I don't like that. And he was like, no, it's going to be great. And he took us and we played over at Escapeology. And we were like, this is such a cool concept. It would be great if it had these big moments and these really cool wow factors. And we started getting all the ideas of things that we wanted to put out there. But it all just came from one step at a time. There was never a master plan or anything. So what were you both doing before this? We were working at Disney as contractors for their youth program. At the time, it was called Disney Performing Arts. Now it is the Imagination Campus, I think is what it's called. But it's basically working with their youth groups. So they would have master classes for orchestras and dance groups and theater groups and stuff. And all these kids would come and they would either perform on stage like at Downtown Disney or in the parade routes in the parks. And as well, they could do like master classes with local professional musicians and actors and stuff like that. And so we were on the tech side of that. We would record them. We would run their shows live. A lot of unrehearsed things. But I mean, combined, Mike and I probably had tens of thousands of performers over the span of A I don't know years. how many years. Yeah. It was crazy. So we're used to that off the cuff, non-rehearsed technical side of things and also watching how like the Disney way of how they would do it and the magic or the perceived magic and how things were presented. Mike and I met in a recording studio. 2009, I think. Yeah. Just, just happened to be in the same place at the same time. And after that, it was like, ah, I want this guy to come work with us. And we worked in a corporate VO recording studio and we did a bunch of stuff for YouTube channels. And we always kind of worked in entertainment, but yeah, it was always uh, music and music tech. Yeah. A lot of tech stuff. I was doing AV freelance as well. A lot of the conventions and stuff like that around town, setting up the audio and visual, doing a lot of that tech work too. So that explains a little bit of my next question for you, which is that in addition to having some incredible names for your games, you have some of the finest game intro videos in the business. So I'm guessing that the expertise developed in the studio and working on all of these different projects is what's underpinning a lot of that. 
Um, sort of. It's always been more of just a tool just to kind of help us tell the story that we want to tell. So it was less about we know we need to make this ABC XYZ thing. And it's more of a this is what we want to do. Let's use the knowledge that we have and the skills that we have to reinforce that idea. That makes sense. And also, I think looking at the progression of your games, I can see that in your earlier games, the videos are there establishing a lot of tone and a lot of story. And in your more recent game or two, video is this pervasive part of the entire production that is always there pulling things together. For sure. I mean, and, and we don't have to mince around it. I mean, it definitely took uh, a couple of years for Crazy Train to happen because of COVID and because of perfectionism and whatever. We just kept pushing it. But yes, the Crazy Train, it was very important to have the intro be a persistent thing because it's such a wacky world. And it is, like you said, establishing the tone and establishing the world and, and setting the expectations as to what you're getting into. But then being able to go back to that, you know, in, in Spoopy Bones, that's something that we had laid the groundwork for. But at the time, we actually had some technical limitations to reintroduce the character more throughout the game. And that's something that we've talked about doing. But like I said before, I mean, Mike and I, we're always dealing with what's right in front of us, whether that's, oh, we have to fix this thing or we're working on this or we're writing this or administrative stuff. We have our list of go back and reinforce experiences that we would like to eventually get to. But that makes sense. And once the building is filled out, it's a lot easier to go back and improve upon the stuff than right. it is to go and do that when you have all of this square footage that is functionally dead until you make it a viable business asset in the form of a game. Yeah. We're taking a moment to thank our sponsor, Morty. Morty is a free app for discovering, planning, tracking, and reviewing escape rooms, haunts, and other immersive social outings. And Morty is now available for all to use on its fantastic website experience, iPhone app, and its brand new Android app, available now on the Google Play Store. I believe in Morty so much that I have a stake in it as an advisor. Morty's new haunt section has a lot of different features, and some of them are subtle. Some of them are also familiar, like you can still wishlist haunts just like you would escape rooms. But if you look at the rating system, on its surface, it is the exact same as we escape room players are used to. But if you start to dig into the questions, Morty has haunt specific questions. They have customized this experience around the format, and I love that. Yeah, like some of the questions they ask are, is the VIP upgrade worth it? That's a question I always want answered. The other feature that I really love that they've added to the haunt section is the categories. So you can filter for haunted houses, but there's also haunted trails. These are like outdoor events going through a botanical garden. You can also look for yard displays. And I don't know about you, David, but here in Los Angeles, we have some neighborhoods with incredible yard displays. I always want to go drive out and see them with my family, but I never really know where to find them. So I love that all of this is aggregated in one place. 
You can learn more at morty.app slash repod. That's R-E-P-O-D to sign up and get a special badge for our listeners. Link and details in the show notes. Crazy Train to me feels like a massive leap forward for you in just about every measurable way from the use of projection mapping to the video that is pervasive throughout it to the way that you've integrated your kind of comedic voice and gameplay and tech and story into this one hole that is frantically running through the entire game without a break and without ever really splitting. First of all, how long did this game actually take you to make? And how much of this was premeditated, like you set out to do it, versus the opportunism that you've been describing for a lot of your earlier games? This one definitely, it took a long time. We came up with the concept. uh, It was October of 2019. And we were sitting in the back talking about a train. We knew we wanted to do this. And we kind of locked in the black and white thing. But we were finishing up uh, Graveyard. And it was, you know, okay, we're gearing up for busy season. Once we get through the next busy season, then we'll start working on it. And as soon as we had started peeking through spring break, that's when shutdowns happened. So we were shut down for a couple months. And uh, we weren't sure how much of the game we should actually be building and and how much money we should be putting into it because as a small business it was scary we weren't sure we were going to make it in fact there were many times that we were convinced that we were done and so we're still shocked that this is still happening for us very glad that it is us too because we're all in on this we don't really have backup plans so this is it for us we knew it's a train there has to be certain elements and certain aspects that you have to have. And we knew that we were going to have to lean into technical aspect. We had to establish a motion. We had to establish a progression through the storyline. We learned a lot, you know, but we spent most of our time R&Ding a lot of different things just to try and figure out the best way to portray this stuff. And I'm only speaking from the tech side. Mike can talk to you about all the mechanical stuff because I still don't know how he does that stuff because we say wood and wire. (laughs) It's either a wood problem or a wire problem. And Mike is the wood problem and I'm the wire problem. (laughs) So I'm speaking totally as wire right now. Just the tech stuff and the, uh, the videos and stuff. But it was absolutely the most challenging thing that I've ever worked on just in the sheer volume of media that had to be produced. And it took as long as it took. I would say 2020, we were kind of messing around. We were doing what we could. But when we knew, once we got through 2020 and back into 2021, we were like, okay, now it's time to really put our foot forward. We know we're going to be okay. It's time to put this game down. It really took... 60, 80 hours a week for two to three years. Because it didn't open until September of 2023, two days before the cutoff for inclusion in our tour. Which was not intentional. Just so we're clear, (laughs) that was not intentional. We kept adding stuff and, you know. David, when you say the cutoff for your tour, you have a rule for whether games can be included on the tour, right? Yeah, we call it the Montreal rule. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no. Shout out to Sofkipur and Escaparium. We love you guys. 
Yeah, the rule for inclusion in our tour is that a game has to be open and bookable to the public six weeks before the tour, which is the weekend that Lisa goes and makes all of the schedules. If it isn't open and bookable to normal players, it just doesn't go on the tour. Enough time for them to have worked out any kinks. Yeah. And also enough time for us to just actually be certain that the game is real and exists and is a functional product. I get it. Yeah, I completely (laughs) agree with the rule. Yeah, like... Yeah, it's not just for Lisa and I. It's also for the escape room companies because we don't want escape room companies that we're taking tours to to be in a panic trying to keep a game running or make a game run in the lead up to the tour or during the tour, we would much rather have the host companies be in a more calm state because we know we're bringing a lot of people through. Yeah, that makes sense. Buzzshot is escape room software powering business growth, player marketing, and improving the customer experience. They offer an assortment of pre- and post-game features, including robust waiver management, branded team photos, and streamlined review management for Yelp, TripAdvisor, Google Reviews, and Morty. Buzzshot now has integration with Repod sponsor Cogs for all of your technology needs. BuzzShot has different configurations and workflows to suit your unique business needs. Whether you're just starting out or are looking to scale, standardize, and automate things that take your staff time, then you should join the thousands of other escape room owners and game masters using BuzzShot. If you haven't done this before, you won't believe how standardization and automation will improve your life and business. Here's what Lisa Gregory of Escape Rooms Unlocked had to say about BuzzShot. BuzzShot saves us significant staff time and allows us to standardize our procedure for all employees. What a relief. Streamline your marketing and grow your escape room business. Repod listeners get an extended free trial and 20% off your first three months with no setup fees or hidden charges. Visit buzzshot.com slash repod, that's R-E-P-O-D, to learn more. Link and details in the show notes. With the room itself, we also knew from the get-go, and now the game was completely designed on paper pre-pandemic, like 2019. We had the whole thing laid out, but it really was a matter of looking at the physical space that we were working with. We knew we had this long, skinny kind of room. So that's what led to the idea of, okay, this should be a train that just makes the most sense. Oh, so it was the limitation of the space you had available for the game. Yeah, with the room itself being so long and skinny, we knew we had this physical limitation to fit what we needed to fit. And we knew we wanted to make it now, okay, a vehicle with windows so we can expand the game field out of the room because the physical room is so much smaller than we would prefer I was very happy with how we took advantage of the space, floor to ceiling, everything, which I think worked towards its advantage. David has a note here for this game. It says, an integration of comedy, gameplay, tech, and story that feels remarkably consistent throughout the entire game, which makes sense if you made sure to pack it all floor to ceiling and you've just got it filled with all of the things that you're good at. 
that's an excellent compliment too, because we wanted the tech and the media and the the music and the construction and everything to complement the gameplay and everything to work together. We appreciate that for sure. I'll tell you, this is one of my absolute favorite escape rooms, period. It's in my top five. David's played over 1,200 games. Yeah, that's awesome. Those are some huge words. I mean, seriously, thank you. You're welcome. I personally, I felt like a child from the second that I entered the room and like everything started to register to me what was going on until the moment we exited, I was just giddy. And normally I'm like always trying to leave space for my teammates to go and interact. And I was trying to do that in this game, but I was so excited. Sometimes I was just like doing things. And then there were times where I was like saying to Cindy and Marty, hey, do you want to do this? And I think they saw just how much fun I was having. They were like, no, you do it. You do it. (laughs) I had such an incredible time just being in the game, just all of the whimsy and the humor. And, And this kind of brings me to one of the questions that I've been dying to ask you guys, which is that. We're always advocating for more comedy and whimsy in escape rooms. Comedy and whimsy feel like they're foundational principles of Doldricks. But one of the things that you have managed to do is not let your comedy turn hurtful or cruel or offensive, but it's also just never really childish at the same time. And you're not doing like the Shrek thing where you're burying adult humor inside of a child's plot. Where is the comedy of Doldricks coming from? Nerissa spends a lot of time on this in particular. In Red Sled, there's a radio station that plays. It's Red Herring Radio. It's not important. You're not supposed to pay attention to it, but it's commercials from all the different characters who are talking throughout the game and stuff. And Nurse spends a lot of time uh, writing a lot of the stuff. And if it's something that makes us laugh, it more than likely can go in the game. That's not to say that there isn't stuff that gets cut. There's a lot of stuff on the cutting room floor that it's not appropriate. It would not be very good. And, you know, the OG scheme and plots is not nearly the uh, family friendly attraction that exists today. It is a very organic thing. It starts out as a joke. And it's just when you work as much as we are and when you're just constantly just hammered with the small business thing, you got to find comedy. You got to. I'm sitting in the doctor's office with my wife and my two kids for this 15th time this year when they're super sick. We have to laugh. We have to make fun of something. We have to make light of the situation because if we don't, it's easy to go to a dark place. So we take our game super seriously, but we're realistic about it. It's something that's fun and funny, and it's something that we enjoy. We enjoy when we hear the quick one-liners or something. I mean, to this day, I mean, We'll be running a game and Spoopy will say something or you'll hear something in, in Bomb Squad and even staff that's been with us for a long time. You'll still hear a giggle. You'll still hear a laugh. And even though we've heard it 12 times a day for the last five years, I still am looking forward to the, the character saying that line because I think it's funny. And so you have to have that humor. And, and it's just, again, like everything else, it wasn't necessarily planned. It's just kind of part of who we are. It's more of like us injecting ourselves into these games versus us trying to be funny. 
We don't get that. There has to be an authenticity to everything. We don't like to try and be funny. It doesn't work. Yeah, we don't typically plan it ahead of time. It'd be like, it'll be in the moment when we're making the thing, whether it's a physical thing or a video thing. So you've mentioned Red Sled Redemption a couple of times. I'd be remiss if we didn't dig into it a little bit. This has become over the years, one of my go-to examples of incredible single room escape games. You always see people on Facebook posting, hey, I'm looking for recommendations in X city, multi-room games only. And I'm always like, don't do that. How did you guys go about designing a game to the level that you want to build in a small single room space? We never saw the single room space as necessarily a a hindrance. We knew how much stuff was going to be in there and I'll let Mike get into the design of it and stuff, but that was never on our radar that people were going to be super against it. And it it definitely shows in the numbers. People are like, I don't want to play a single room game. But that being said, the people who do go in and play nine times out of 10, they come out and they say, man, I can't believe that was a single room game. I had so much fun. I never thought about going into another space. I think it's just the way that the gameplay is designed and that's all on mic. So I mean, that was the experience on the tour for whatever it's worth. The number of people who walked out of that game saying, I wasn't expecting to like that. It was a Christmas room and it was a single room game. And I really loved that. And also it was almost entirely made out of toys. (laughs) Yeah. The making it out of toys. That was another organic one. That was fun. How it started coming together because it was just, okay, at first, yeah, a toy will work best for this and a toy will work best for that. Then after we have three or four of those, it's like, okay, the whole game needs to be made with children's toys all in different ways. Like every single one needs to be unique. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. We don't like to repeat ourselves. We really try best we can to have big actions and deep puzzles and ebb and flow, whatever's going to support the story. By the way, I also just now realized that Red Sled Redemption is named after the video game, Red Dead Redemption. Yep. <laughs> Which again, we just thought was funny because you're fixing Santa's sleigh. So we we're like, ah, Red Sled Redemption. It's just the wordplay. And and for those who are wondering, the actual full name of the game is Red Sled Redemption at the Holly Jolly Holiday Hubcap Repair. There it is. Yep. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. Because of course, if you're going to be fixing a sleigh, you have to specialize in hubcaps. I mean, it, of course, you know, of course makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that makes sense, guys. Come on. Yeah. So do you have any key lessons from running a Christmas experience year round? Does it get booked especially more over the holidays or does it not matter? The day after Halloween, November 1st, we start seeing an uptick and then... As soon as it's back to school in January, we start seeing a downtick. And then surprisingly, July, it's just Christmas in July. Everybody wants to play in July. So you're located in Orlando, Florida. Do you think that your proximity to Disney and Universal, does it have an impact on your work at Doldricks? I would say... Yeah, in terms of knowing what else is in town for options for guests. Now, if we were in another city, I would still think that our games would be the exact same way that we make them because it's just the way we make them. Yeah. But there is definitely the whole, okay, we are 
next to Disney World, we need to make sure that guests traveling here and doing things here, there's like expectation quality, we definitely want to hit, but I feel like even if we were in a small town, we would have these same ideas and we'd want to do the same thing we're doing, but yeah. What you're just describing of these sort of like regional expectations, I think that's what in the early days of escape rooms, the 2014, 2015, really before Doldricks, the pre-2018 era of Orlando, people were expecting more from the region than they were getting. And for me, it was my second trip to Orlando when we came and played you guys, where I was like, oh, okay, this is a really special company. And then our subsequent trips after that, there's been this boom in other wonderful companies opening up and other companies leveling up to match or at least compete with what you guys are doing. But for me, it feels like you set a bar in Orlando and in Central Florida that changed the trajectory of escape rooms in the region. It's possible that those other companies might have opened and things might have played out exactly as they would have, but it feels to me like you guys changed something. Wow, that's an excellent compliment, and it's hard to respond to that. (laughs) No need. (laughs) Thank you. I think it's true. When I first started talking to David about Doldricks, and I think at that time you had not yet played, and you were telling me you didn't think there were that many great games in Orlando, and then from that statement to running a tour, running a whole ass tour (laughs) to Orlando in 2023, there's not that many cities that they run tours in. No, and I genuinely believe that Central Florida has become one of the top North American escape room markets. But if you would have asked me that back in 2017, if that was in the cards, I just never would have guessed it. Yeah, there are a ton of great venues in Central Florida. I mean, we've got Dare to Escape across the street. We've got Escape Ventures you know, on the other side of town. My favorite venue is Escape Goat up in Winter Garden. Uh, they're lovely. I love them. I, their games make sense. And they have games that are zero tech and they have games that have a lot of tech. And it, they, they all just play magnificently. And that's always been the most important thing to Mike and I. When we're playing a game, it has to flow correctly. It has to make sense. It has to feel right. For us, like you're talking about with the expectation of the theme parks, I almost feel like the opposite end of it is is true as well. The expectation of the guest service side of it. And people are expecting universal guest service quality. So we have to make sure that the way that we treat the guests coming in, it, it's real and it's authentic. And I think that's something that the guests resonate with just as much as the games itself. And we're not telling our staff, like, you guys need to be standing up and you need to be smiling and you need to be off of your chair. You know, no, like you have to be real with the guests because Mm -hmm. we are so excited. Every guest that walks through the door, we're just happy that they're there. And there's still that part of us that, I mean, Mike and I, you know, we're just two dudes. And uh, so for us to have people coming to us, it's incredible. So we are genuinely just ecstatic with every guest that comes through the door. It is easier for us because we're we're real with the guests. And I think guests that are coming down to Orlando to come to the theme parks that are having a little bit of a cookie cutter guest experience and then coming to us and we're just like, hey, how you doing? Thanks for being here. What's going on? Because we genuinely want to know. I think that resonates with people. So I have to ask you, because I 
I know that you both have not had the opportunity to travel much between Doldricks and raising families. What have been some of the most influential games on you guys? How much have you actually had a chance to play? Mike has that number, I think, more than I do. He's Mike's really good with the Morty and stuff, and I am <laughs> I'm really bad. I'm just like, see Mike Dold's games <laughs> for the games that I've played. Yeah, it's somewhere in the mid-60s. We definitely want to get in more. And there are some new ones in Central Florida we want to hit up, but yeah, we're dying to even venture out of Central Florida. We get so many like owners, you know, that come through, we meet. And I'm like, I want to do that. You guys are traveling out and playing games. Yeah, we need to go do that. We got to get you guys to come on a tour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, please. Come out to Los Angeles and do up recon. It'd be a blast. That would be super cool. Yeah. But uh, if I could impress anything upon you guys is that like what you have done largely in a vacuum has just been incredible, just absolutely incredible. You have your own branch of escape rooms in this comedy, whimsy, playful space that no one else has done a lot of work in, or at least not in my travels. I would just love to see what would happen to Doldrick's games if you guys got a look at a couple of the other regions that are doing really special things and just saw like what are some of the strengths of other places and what are some of the mistakes of other places and i feel like a little bit more of that you guys would just get supercharged because you're already incredible at what you do thank you there's no shortage of games that we want to play and there there are so many that we just haven't been able to go to that are local and outside but like you said david it's with the families and i've got a three and a six-year-old right now so it's constant and i mean with the business too we don't have a large staff intentionally we have a smaller staff we try and pay as best we can and do benefits and the whole nine yards so that way we have people in our family that want to be there and because of that, we're still down there. We're still doing the thing as much as we can. So still having a hand in pretty much all aspects of the business, it keeps us at the business. I see that. You can tell that you and your families are, are living this business and it shows in the, the consistency and the quality and the love that you feel in each and every game. There's a trade-off here and I know you know it. And what you've built is absolutely incredible. And however you choose to end up continuing with it, nothing but respect from here. Well, how wonderful to grow up as a kid in this amazing <laughs> yeah. escape room that your parents run. My parents have a jewelry business. And so I grew up going to jewelry shows, but it was like looking at I don't know, a bunch of like white people trying on jewelry <laughs> and me having to wipe down the showcase every five minutes. That's funny. <laughs> My son was born seven, eight, nine months before we opened. And so, I mean, he's strapped to me. There's pictures of me and Mike dealing with the contractor. and I got my kids strapped to my chest. We had the pack and play up at the front desk. I mean, when you say like to grow up in an escape room, my oldest, he's spent the first three years of his life at the escape room almost every day. Yeah. Not the best father in the world having my kid there till one o'clock in the morning, but he ain't, he's not waking up till, you know, 1 PM. It's all right, <laughs> but it's tough. 
It was, it's, and it's still tough and it's tough for different reasons now, but my oldest going up through all the different aspects of the business and I'm sitting there answering the phone and I'm running a game and I'm trying to feed him in the high chair next to me and all the way to him sitting in my lap and him hitting the, hitting the talk back button and like talking into the mic for him, having to tell people like, Oh, don't worry. That's just my kid. And now I've got him reading scripts and and doing voiceovers and he loves it. And he's in our latest game. He's great. He kills in crazy train. (laughs) He loves it. He came in and did it in one take. He does it better than I do. (laughs) And and you see it in his play though. When he plays, it's like they build these massive play sets. And it's the same as when I was a kid, but it was never just like, I have an action figure and this is an action figure. It's like, no, I need to take all of these things and these Legos and then make this huge set. And he's coming to me saying, oh, Dedes, pretend like you can't open this door and you have to figure out what the thing is. And he's saying these things to me now. And so he's growing up in this thematic world where at any time he walks through the door, he can go and run through lasers or he can go and see fog machines. And like he does it and he loves it. And he still enjoys, for the most part, coming to the escape room. So it it, it is different. It sounds like a wonderful childhood to me. <laughs> We'll see. I'll ask him in a couple years and we'll see. Like, Dad, I don't want to go to the escape room. That place sucks. <laughs> a fun memory I was from when he was very young, like barely speaking. This was every single time whenever guests did a big moment, I'll say in Captain Spooby Bones, he was hands in the air cheering every, no matter where he was in the building, <laughs> you could just hear him. He's off in the back, maybe in his playpen where like that moment happens in spooky bones you hear him way off back there cheering and yelling because yeah. yeah yeah i forgot about that thank you for bringing that up that's so awesome. adorable i feel like that's prime tiktok material <laughs> yeah yeah really yeah but yeah it was funny it was just it never stopped it was 100 percent of the time every time that moment happened yeah, it didn't matter what he was doing. He could be eating. He could be in the middle of a sentence. He'd stop and stop, raise his hands in the air and cheer. I want your son to cheer me when I have great moments in escape rooms. <laughs> I would enjoy that very much. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. It's tough. The work-life balance, it's up until really this point, it's been dead. has got to go to work. If, I, if I'm not at the space, I'm here working on something. And it's the same with Mike. We're working to an unhealthy degree. So there is that, there's the kind of the darker side of it as well, where it's, you have to prioritize and how do we be in three places at once and who needs us the most right now? And where are we maybe not doing so well? I spend more time with my wife or spend more time with my kids or spend more time with the staff or spend more time with Mike. Like we, we all are just doing our best to make it happen. So it's not easy. We come up with funny stuff and that's Doldricks and that's it. No, there's a lot of work. This is the hardest thing that we've ever done for sure. And every day we have new challenges. We get emailed wild stuff every single day that we get thrown for loops. and Like what? Things that you wouldn't necessarily expect. And I don't want to throw anybody or anything under the bus. I'll just say, we'll see stuff like, you know, we're coming down here for our big family gathering and we've got 20 people and we're going to do this huge thing at Disney and we're staying at the resorts and we want to come to you and we want you to give us a discount. Like, hey, I'm not making any money off of what you spend at Disney. Yeah. (laughs) Struggling over here. Yeah. (laughs) 
That's been one of the missions of this podcast is to try to normalize the pricing for an escape room. And I recently went to Disneyland and I was like, I would rather go to an escape room and have an entire room all to myself with just me and my family and no lines. I was, I went to Disney, I spent like 200 and I was like, I averaged two minutes of a ride for three hours in line and I'm paying how much it. It's funny you say that. Yeah, I've, I've said that exact example. The last time I was at the park, out this whole day, I probably had about nine minutes total of actual entertainment. Next time you you should calculate out an amount paid per minute of entertainment and prove to them why they're actually already getting a great deal at an escape room (laughs) compared to Disney. And when it's the real estate too, I think that's why you're seeing the theme parks that are getting into the, or at least attempting to get into the escape room business. I use that loosely. <laughs> yeah. My wife knows some of the the people out there. So we don't, we're not discrediting the creative process, but as you can imagine, there are a lot of check boxes that must be checked off from a business standpoint, from a large corporation to have something that surprisingly has a shoestring budget versus something like what we got. We're just going to do whatever we want to do, whatever we can. And however we want to tell the story, we don't have to say the boss said we need a small black box. Well, it'd be better if it was a a big white circle. It's like, well, no, boss said it had to be a small black box. So we got to make small black box. So for us, we're going to do whatever makes sense in the game. The real estate, getting back to the point, the real estate is important at an escape room. You're getting, hopefully, a private room. You're getting someone who's watching over your game. You're not having to press a button and wave your hands and do that whole song and dance. You're getting a custom experience for you and your group. And you can spend that time however you want to. But to keep people in this square footage without it having to be a line, without it having to be, I'm going from this space to the next space to the next space to the next space and being pushed through and without having to share it with others, I think there's a tremendous value in that. And I feel like escape room pricing is right on the money. You know, sometimes we we say, ah, oh, you know, we feel like we should be cheaper. Sometimes we think, ah, oh, we feel like we should be more expensive. And it's tough to find that balance. I used to be fearful that escape rooms were going to be a fad like in the very, very beginning. And Mike always said, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think so. And I'm now a believer that I think escape rooms are going to be here for a while because the space and the interactivity and, and everything that you get to do, not that you have to do, but the things that you get to do that you get to experience. Yeah, we could not agree more. Specifically, what I would say that I didn't think is a fad, it was for one specific reason, because I always said, I was like, this is one thing, this cannot be replicated at home. I was like, sure. I was like, you could maybe do a VR kind of thing, but you cannot get the tangible, physical, interactive experience you get in escape room anywhere else, but in that brick and mortar store. Certainly not the way that you're doing it. I have a random question for you guys. Are there any lessons about the finer points of jackhammer operation that you would care to share with us? (laughs) Got to wear your safety gear. You'd be surprised at how after about 45 minutes to an hour, your hands just start to tingle. And by two hours, you just can't even feel your arms. And you're just like, it like works every part of your body. Are you like jello? Is it like getting a massage afterwards? Uh, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> we're also, we're trading off. It's like one person's doing the jackhammering, breaking up all the tile on the floor with the other person shoveling it into wheelbarrows to take out to our construction dumpster. 
And yeah, we're just back and forth between either shoveling it or jackhammering it. Jeez. Oh, so you guys are really hands-on with all the points of construction. Yeah, we have to be. Yeah, it was that comes from the financial burdens of owning a business. But I mean, it, it also it sounds really pompous, and I don't mean for it to, but I compare it to Apple. Not that I think we're as good as Apple, but no, Apple controls all of their ecosystem, the hardware and the software and everything that goes into it. So at the end of the day, you might have other phones that are faster or have more capability, but the experience of Apple is great. And I think because we do everything in-house from conception all the way to the media, construction, wiring, programming, like the whole thing, we know what the end goal needs to be. We know how the experience should feel. We know like the flow of the puzzles. We don't have this team that's doing this and that team that's doing that and this team that's doing this. So the reason it takes a long time, you know, we have staff that help us do things for sure. And I would be in trouble if I didn't bring up how much my wife does. That is not wood and wire. It's everything else (laughs) behind it. I can confirm that. She's (laughs) She's <laughs> she's super involved. And so it was so incredibly helpful throughout the whole production of the Orlando tour. Yeah, she handles all of that stuff. Everything else that is not wood and wire. We would not be here if it wasn't for her keeping us on track and keeping us organized and stuff. So what comes next for Doldrix? Any projects that you're working on that you would like to promote? Recently, I mean, Mike and I started getting requests for consultations and stuff, anything from media stuff and and music and construction and building physical props for people. We don't have it on the website yet. We've got it to where people can email creative at doldricks.com. And that goes to us. Anything from story development all the way up to helping them build stuff. So we started to kind of head in that direction a little bit, but we still have games to build. So our next idea that we're fleshing out right now is pretty awesome. We definitely have ambitious ideas for multiple future games. Yeah. I'll say there's a lot of things that we've we're like, are we able to pull this off? More intense meta for what an escape room is capable of being. Oh, now I'm intrigued. I can't wait to come play. So besides the email you gave us, how else can people contact you? Are you on social media? We are terrible with social media. We are on there, yeah. For us, you know, most people email us info at Doldricks and that goes to us. That goes to Narissa as well. So we actually get a lot of emails. We're constantly writing people messages through Facebook and stuff like that. Are you on Instagram? What's your handle? At Doldricks. They're at Doldricks everywhere. That was part of the name. That's it. It's part of the, yeah, it's part of the package. Yeah. Mike, Rick, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for being such wonderful hosts to our Escape Immerse Explorer Tour. We hope we can bring a group back to you at some point in the future. And thank you for being just such conscientious and thoughtful and observant creators. I think it's pretty clear over the course of this episode, if you both didn't know already, I am just a huge fan of your work. It is an honor to play your games every single time I've played one, and it has been a pleasure to get to know you both more and 
learn about what's going into making these incredible experiences. Thank you. Yeah, we appreciate you saying that. And for real. Yeah. And also, I mean, back at you, it's great that there is someone like you and rumorscapeartist.com because it's a new industry. As it grows, I'm sure there'll be, you know, more podcasts kind of things and more websites. But what you guys are doing to grow the industry is obviously beneficial to us and very appreciated by us. So it's great that there's places like your website and your podcast to keep growing and hopefully get more and more people into this industry. That's the evil plan. Get more people in, have more fun. The Reality Escape Pod is produced by Teresa Piazza with support by Lisa Spira. We're edited by Steve Ewing of Stand Inside Media, music by Ryan Elder, logo by Janine Proct, and all of this is brought to you by RoomEscapeArtist.com, your home for well-researched, rational, and reasonably humorous escape room and immersive gaming content and events. Wow, what a tag. (laughs) That's What a tag, my goodness. You've made it to the end of the episode. I'm guessing that you had a good time because otherwise you would have bailed. How about you go and take that good time straight over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Help other people find what we're doing. It really helps us out. And think about who you just helped out by helping them find a podcast that they're really going to enjoy. Go do it. Do it now. Thank you. Well, folks, it is that time. You know exactly the one I'm talking about. It's the one where the desperate content creator tells you, please, please join our Patreon, please. I know you hear it from everybody, but it means so much to us. The amount of time and energy and money that we put into producing shows like this to the degree that we produce them and all of the other things that we're doing, it's just takes a lot and our patrons every single one of them matters at every single level so if you have the money available and it's not going to be a hardship for you please consider backing us on patreon and if it is going to be a hardship please don't and backing us at the five dollar level gets you access to the ria discord and it also gets you our bonus after show the show goes on for like another 40 to 50 minutes usually. A lot of times we have the guests joining us. I mean, that's that's longer than that cup of coffee will last you. At the $15 level, you also get access to our Spoilers Club. Here we take deep dives into iconic, well-known escape rooms, and we're joined by the creators who come in and gives us exclusive behind the scenes, director's cut style commentary. This is some of my favorite content to produce because I love talking about escape rooms in full. You can learn more at patreon.com slash room escape artist. Link and details in the show notes. Thank you to our new high-level patrons, Brett Johnson, Dawnward, and Karen. We'd like to thank our highest level patrons, Panic Room, Escapism, Olivier Escape, Jonathan Driscoll, Breakout Games, Derek Tam, Joshua Rosenfeld, Byron Delmonico, Keystone Escape Games, Scott Olson, Paula Swan, Rex Miller, and the Ministry of Peculiarities. Thank you for your ongoing support. At the very beginning, we played a game. We had won the game and didn't know that we had won the game. We found out by the game master walking in and saying congratulations while we were still, we thought, 
working on stuff. We were still working on stuff. We were still working on stuff, yeah. <laughs> and I remember it just being such a disappointing kind of feeling at the end of the game that I know that we said very early on that 100% our guests will know when they have completed the game. They have won the game. There's no question about it. And it, it really did stem from playing that game with that experience. 